0: Hi everyone, welcome to Career Focus. Today's topic is such an important one when it comes to driving success in your professional life. We're gonna talk about the importance of having the right mindset as a young professional and ways that we all can reduce stress and anxiety despite the many challenges that we face all the time. To talk about this with me today is Jamie Turner. Jamie's an internationally recognized author, TV news contributor and communication and emotional intelligence expert, who's also a professor at two of the best business schools in the United States. He's written several books about marketing and leadership, and he's going to shed some light today about how young professionals can get ahead of stress and anxiety and develop the right mindset as they're navigating the early career stages of their lives. Jamie, I'm so excited that you've sat down to join me today. Welcome to Career Focus. I am thrilled to be here. The
1: topic is interesting to me, and I know you're going to do a great job with not only to us having a conversation, but also the whole initiative you're putting together. So I'm a big fan of yours and
0: looking forward to helping out today. I appreciate that. A lot of the listeners have heard already a little bit about my story. I have a background in higher education and I still consider myself to be a young professional. And I think one of the best things that we can do, regardless of where we're at in our career and honestly in our lives, is to shed light into our experiences and help foster knowledge for all of us to learn and grow together. Super appreciative that you're here. I'd love for you to share a little bit about your background and tell your story about who Jamie Turner is. Thanks for asking. I was born in London, which
1: is interesting because I've got an American accent, came over to the United States early in my life, but went through and got involved during my career in helping others discover a better version of themselves. So what I found was that I was had in my heart and soul the desire to help other people and also started thinking through how do I help other people and realize the best way to do that is through teaching and speaking. So I teach at the university level. And speak around the globe on the topic of mostly how to improve your executive wellness, your executive presence, how to be a better team leader, how to do a better job leading yourself and leading others. And what I found through my teachings is, hey, people respond to this and they like it and it helps them reach what I call their aspiration line. Your aspiration line is that version of yourself that you know exists, it's the version of yourself that's your idealized self. So it's like, I know I can be a better worker. I know I can be a better leader. I know I can be a better parent. I know I can be a better spouse. I know I can be a better employee. That's the aspiration line. And so my goal in life is to help people reach their aspiration line by giving them a roadmap on how to get there, how to go from point A where you are today to point B where you want to be tomorrow with the best version of yourself possible. And so that's what I spend my time doing.
0: I love that. And what's so unique about the audiences that you serve in your teaching is that they're a variation of different people. Today, you and I are talking primarily to college students and young professionals. You do that on a daily basis as a professor, but you also travel internationally and speak to people that are executive leaders and that have been living and working for 30, 40, 50 years, which I think is amazing that you've seemingly captured an essence of how people can grow and how that aspiration line probably changes and moves over time. We've all heard the analogy about goalposts that move, but I love your passion and your inspiration to help others. Yeah. And, you know, I
1: do speak to multi-generational audiences, but one of the things that I realize is that in the end, we all have a lot in common. And part of what we have in common is, again, the desire to be the best version of ourselves we can possibly be. And also, generally speaking, almost everybody I meet with has a desire to help other people. So that comes out in a lot of what we all do. And it doesn't matter if you're an executive who's hard charging and wanting to make a pile. money or somebody like you or my daughter, who's an elementary school teacher, somebody that wants to go out and help change young people's lives as a way to make the world a better place. All of us have in common that desire to help others. And so that's the crux or the central
0: starting point that I start with in everything that I do. I love that. And especially when it comes to starting points, you talk about one of your unspoken rules of leadership is that you have to focus on mindset first. And then skill set. That's maybe a good place for us to start. Could you define your unspoken rules of leadership and talk about that first one about how the importance of mindset is first and then skill set?
1: Sure. You know, all of us enter into the workforce thinking, if I just learn this software program, I'll be a better executive. Or if I can just figure out how to do that more efficiently, I'll be a better executive. So we're looking at tools and technologies that can help us improve our productivity. But at the end of the day, the number one thing you can do in terms of improving your performance is to go out and work on your mindset. So that raises the question, well, what is mindset? Mindset is how you think about the world around you and what you put into your brain as you move through that world. So one thing that I encourage people to do is to lean towards optimism as opposed to pessimism, lean towards trust as opposed to leaning towards distrust. And there's benefits and disadvantages to that. I had an experience early in my career where I trusted somebody, I got burned from what they did to me, and I thought I can go through life deciding not to trust people, which would turn me into a pessimist, or I can decide to go through life still trusting people, even though I got burned a little bit, and know that I'm going to occasionally get burned, but I'm still going to go through life with optimism, and seeing humanity's better side as I go through life. So some of the things we talk about in terms of mindset are changing the way you think about things and also learning the techniques that you can use in order to do everything from reduce stress, to work at your peak, to perform better, all those things that add up. Well, they all start in the mind by teaching yourself what to think. When you change your thoughts... That ultimately changes your actions. And when you change your actions, that ultimately improves your outcome. So I talk a lot about changing your thoughts and making them the right thoughts, which ultimately leads to changing your actions, which ultimately leads to changing your outcomes.
0: I love that. You know, it's hard, I think, for a lot of young people, including myself, sometimes we don't have the life experience to really have that wisdom to know how to navigate those challenges and turn them into solutions or even trust the idea that the power of positivity is as strong as it may be. And I would love for you to talk about an example of common stressors that you see as a professor working with young people that you feel like are a good place to start when you're thinking about adjusting your actions to lead to more positive outcomes.
1: Yeah. So I talk a lot about anxiety and I've got some techniques for any of your listeners who might have a little bit of anxiety regarding something or they might have a lot. We all have anxiety occasionally, whether it's I am about to take an exam or, hey, I'm concerned about my grade in this class, or, hey, I'm wondering if my boss is gonna like the proposal I give to them. All of that anxiety is a normal part of existing, and so we embrace that and recognize it. But when it gets out of control is when it inhibits our ultimate behavior. So out of control by that, I mean, when you start getting wound up, the the reptilian part of your brain, which is at the base of your skull, and blood flow starts spinning around in that part of our brain. And it prevents us from using our executive reasoning, the prefrontal cortex, in order to manage those impulses. So when you have that feeling of anxiety and you're stuck and you can't run away from something, it just builds upon itself and makes it worse. So some of the techniques that you can use as First of all, try to get out ahead of your anxiety. If you're in an anxious state, it's very difficult to calm your brain down through self-talk. Now, I do have techniques you can use if you do need to calm yourself down and you're in a heightened state of anxiety, one of which is jumping into a cold shower. And literally what happens is your brain starts thinking about the fact that it's freezing cold and it shifts your brain from going from. I'm ready to run away to, oh my God, what's going on to every nerve ending in my body? And it's a healthy and productive way to reduce anxiety. But one of the things I coach people on is getting ahead of anxiety and learning how to reduce that anxiety beforehand. I talk a lot about mindfulness. I talk a lot about meditation. I've been meditating for 45 years now as a way to manage my ADD and my ADHD. And what happens for me is exactly what we just talked about. My brain functions at a heightened state in the reptilian part, so I'm impulsive a lot of times, and I use meditation to bring my energy and blood flow to the front part of my brain, which reduces stress, helps me focus, helps me plan ahead, and all of those settle down a little bit so I'm not jumping around the way I do
0: when I'm in a state of ADD or ADHD. I think it's easy for us to get distracted and overwhelmed and anxious when... We've got classes, friend groups we're trying to see. Maybe our parents are visiting us. We've got deadlines with different projects. And then we're now throwing in career, which is a big wrench in our whole process and our system. In your life and career journey, what stage did you start to realize the importance of mindset first? I've always been
1: interested in Personal productivity or human improvement from an early age. And I'll tell you that story in a second. The idea of work on your mindset first and your skill set second was actually later in my career. And I think I was out for a jog, which is where I get a lot of my ideas. And I was listening to a podcast like yours and something came up. And I thought, oh, work on your mindset first and your skill set second. But the idea of working on self improvement happened to me early on in my career when I was 29. I got laid off from a company I was working for. I had always wanted to start my own business. And I thought, well, if I'm ever going to start my own business, now's the time. I'm not making a pile of money like I will be later. I'm young enough to where if I make a mistake, it's not the end of the world. Let me go out and start my own business. So I went to a friend and said, hey, I'm getting ready to start my own business. Do you have any suggestions? Because my friend owned his own business. And he said, yeah, as cheesy as it is. Go get those Tony Robbins tapes and listen to those. And I was blown away by the concepts in there and the ideas in there. And I said, man, you can do so much better at your career if you work on improving yourself, your mind, your body, your spirit, rather than just going to work every day. So I literally from age 29 on have been studying human performance, how to improve it, how to reduce stress, anxiety so that you can get the best from yourself, how to improve all aspects of your life as a way to improve Who you are as a human being, but also improve who you are as a person working within a corporation. So that was the starting point of it, age 29 for human development. And then later in my career, for that idea of work on your mindset first and your skill set second.
0: I think working in the corporate world, folks in that early career stage are kind of a spoke in the wheel to be part of a process in their role. But at the same time, there's an understanding, especially from folks like you who are experts and talk to corporations on a daily, weekly basis, that now work is more than just, oh, you clock in, you come to work, or you log in online, you do these amount of hours, you do this work, and then you get paid for it. Sure, that's the fundamental of why we work, but also Mm -hmm. a lot of companies offer opportunities for folks to be themselves and try and naturally reduce that stress and anxiety and the rigor that revolves around the work environment that we're in now. I'm fortunate in the company that I've worked for in the last couple of years, there's community groups and things that offer inclusive ways for folks to engage and work together. And sometimes we talk about tough topics. We can't get too personal all the time because it is a place of work, but we can talk about things that are stressing us or blockers or challenges that we're all encountering based on the climate that we're in. I think that helps unblock some of the challenges that maybe create stress that inhibit our ability to work or gain clarity in certain situations.
1: Studies show that the number one thing that people feel stress about is when they don't have control over their environment. So if you're locked into a job that you hate, but you can't leave the job because of whatever reason, that's a huge stressor. Or you've been given a new boss who's a terrible boss and you're locked into that. So the ability to control your environment is critical to reducing stress. And one of the things you talked about is, hey, I get into these groups and I'm able to talk about what it is that's bothering me sometimes will open up. as a team and talk about that, which is awesome. That ability to vocalize and express yourself is a way to reduce the stress in an environment where you may feel stress, whether it's because you lack control or because of just a situational thing. So vocalizing and verbalizing is an important part of reducing stress. The other thing that you touched on there was we can share stuff, but it is a professional environment, so we don't share everything. That's a smart move on your part. You are. Correct. A lot of times people mistake authenticity for transparency. And the difference is when you are being fully authentic in the group, you're sharing your stressors, your feelings, your thoughts, your emotions, whatever it is. But you're also aware I'm in a professional environment. I have a job to do. I can't share everything in this group. That means you're being fully authentic. What we don't want to be is fully transparent. What I mean by that, give you an example. If you went out to Vegas with a bunch of buddies for a bachelor party and you come back to the office on Monday and say, boy, I really had a wild time in Vegas. Let me tell you about it. Nobody wants to hear that. They don't mind hearing that you went to Vegas, but they don't wanna hear the details of your trip to Vegas. That is the distinction between being fully authentic, which is what you do when you're in this environment. Hey, I'm feeling a little stressed versus being fully transparent, which you don't wanna do, which is, hey, let me tell you about this crazy time I had in Vegas. So the understanding between those two, authenticity and transparency is an important part of being a successful executive.
0: Absolutely. You know, what's critical to young professionals is sometimes the hardest part at the beginning of a career is just getting in the door, getting that right experience that's going to help you shape your resume or help you tell your stories. But one of the other blockers and challenges is that folks don't necessarily have the emotional intelligence or we don't have the ability to reflect the way we think we do. There's a coworker that I had a few years ago. Sometimes she was a little too transparent. She was such a nice, amazing person, but unfortunately she found herself sometimes left off of some projects, she would talk about how her partner would have a lot of mental and emotional challenges that would inhibit her ability to work well, you just raised a yellow or a red flag that really you, you didn't need to share and that might be hurting you because you're now limiting your ability to level up or get promoted. And so to anyone that might be listening, I would recommend that you continue to put yourselves in different settings, whether they're specifically at work or they're in maybe personal settings with work people, like someone goes to a birthday lunch or something like that, where you're going to get exposed to slightly different social settings. And you see what and when are the lines that I can tow or maybe cross a little bit safely. And what are topics or situations where I need to stay away from certain
1: things? Yeah, that's good advice that you're giving there. I remember early in my career going out, it was my first job and we went out to celebrate a big win we go to the bar and they're doing rounds of tequila shots and there's a lot of rounds of tequila shots going on. And I realized I was a young executive. I thought, you know, I'm new here and this could really backfire on me. My boss, who was actually a very nice guy, but he said, Jamie, take a, take another shot. And I said, no, I don't, I don't think so. And he said, no, I'll go ahead and take another shot. And I said, I have nothing to gain from taking another shot of tequila and everything to lose. And he went, you know what? You're right. I'm pretty good for a 23-year-old. But the point was that getting sloppy drunk, even though everybody else had too much to drink, it wasn't going to serve me well. So having the ability to say, you know what, let me not do that at this time and place. And maybe years from now, I can be the one that leads the charge on that, but not early in my career. That's an important thing to do. It's very hard to unring a bell, as they always say. And once that bell is rung, oh, they really had it out at a bar. And I remember another incident where I was at a a Christmas party for a client and his employee got totally hammered and a young guy. I'm still 30 years later telling that story, you know, about the young guy who got hammered at a Christmas party. It just doesn't Bode well, because you do that
0: once and people will be telling stories about it 30 years later, unfortunately. And you always want to build a reputation in your workplace, but only with positive things, never negative, yeah. embarrassing things that are going to hurt you. Absolutely. Good point. If you were to look back at your time as a young professional, maybe between the ages of 20 and 30, what was something you were commonly stressed over or anxious about that you would maybe advise yourself, don't stress over that.
1: Yeah, there's one thing that I'll pass along. And this was actually passed along to me by my father. He said, when you're young, you think that every time you stub your toe in business, it's the end of the world. And then after a decade, you realize "Eh, it's not so bad. After all, everybody stubs their toe. So just remember when you have a flub up, when you make a mistake, when it's an error, even if it's a career setback, it's a long journey. It's a marathon. It's not a sprint. And so I wish when I used to, worry about, oh, I had a bad meeting or whatever. I just wish I'd gone, you know what? Everybody has bad meetings. Everybody has bad days. Everybody has mistakes. What you're trying to do is minimize those, but to think that you're going to have zero errors is just absurd. So just go through realizing everybody's going to stub their toe occasionally. It's not going to set your career back as far as you think it will. It will actually just be one of many things that they
0: remember about you and you'll be fine in the long run. Mm -hmm. That brings me to a quick story I'll tell. When I was in college and I had an internship with the Cincinnati reds, which is a professional baseball team. I'm a baseball guy at heart just always have been. So having this internship with the reds, especially being a sports management major at the time, I wanted to be working in professional sports. When I graduated, I was so excited for the internship, but I almost didn't let myself enjoy it because I was so preoccupied with not making any mistakes and being perfect. And I remember my supervisor, he was only 24 and I was like 21. So not much older than me, but he had been working there for a while. He was an excellent manager and he told me halfway through the summer when the season was halfway through, he said, Dan, you're doing a great job. You're really organized, you're professional, you're really representing the Reds in such a great way. But one piece of advice I would give you is don't be afraid to make a mistake. Number one, we're working in baseball. We're not fighting crime, right? If you make a mistake, it's not really going to impact a macro environment. Or number two, like you're an intern. You're expected to make mistakes. You're expected to not know everything. You can't be perfect. So just lean into things and enjoy it. And if you make a mistake here and there, like try not to do it again, obviously, but just don't feel like you have to be perfect. And I think that example that you just gave there, just a lie, it made me think of that story.
1: Yeah, what great advice to tell you at a young age, it's not brain surgery. It's just
0: baseball. Even now, like I'm someone that naturally is introverted. I get a bit more nervous in some extroverted settings. And when I am working with other people, sometimes, especially in a professional environment, I can come across a little bit rigid, which can turn some people off. They didn't want to work with me. And so that's something that I know about myself that I always have to try and reflect on and improve because if I try to be perfect all the time, if I try to be super buttoned up, it's just not probably going to work for me the way I really want it to. A couple of
1: thoughts for you on that, because I'm an introvert as well. People think, wait, you're on stage all the time. How can you be an introvert? But actually, most professional speakers are actually introverts. And of course, we define introversion versus extroversion as an introvert recharges their batteries alone. An extrovert recharges their batteries around people. My wife is an extrovert. Can't wait to get to the local dinner party or cocktail party, where for me, four or five hours before the party, I just start going, Do we really need to go to this? Why are we doing this party again? You know, all that sort of stuff. And then I realized, oh, that's just my introversion coming out. I don't know about you, Dan, but I can last about an hour at a party, 90 minutes before I have to either step outside or go home. And stepping outside is a way to just get the peace and quiet. But there are a couple of techniques, of course, that you're familiar with already in terms of trying to make sure you don't let the introversion inhibit you. First of all, it's not bad to be an introvert. and The world needs introverts, so we're the ones who sit behind a computer write interesting blog posts and things like that that get people thinking about stuff. The other thing is to make sure you recharge your batteries. I run, you probably do some sports too, but that's always a great way to recharge the batteries. And if you do it enough, then you can get in the recharging so that you can be in the extroverted environment. One last thing, I have a similar thing where I come across as a little bit, there's a warmth to me, but there's not, I used to be a more pronounced. And I'm trying to bring that back out where I'm more down to earth and less professorial. You know, as a professor, you end up always having to know the answer. And so that comes across in your personality, which can be an inhibitor when you're meeting people because you come across as the professor instead of, that friendly guy named Jamie who lives down the street. So I'm working. We're all a work in progress. uh, And and so just know that the things that you're working on are things that we all work on over the
0: course of our lives. I love that. That's really great advice. Not to make you be the answer guy now, um, but I'm going to put you on the spot. I'm curious, just from your perspective, for young people, what's one of the bigger challenges that you think that they're up against? And if you can think of one, what's a piece of advice you would give folks that are encountering that challenge? to help overcome it?
1: There's two. The first is stress. The second is expectations. Let me start with expectations. We'll come back to stress. What I found in the young people that I teach, they go off to work and they literally think the world is waiting for them to provide their wisdom and to share their insights and to get promoted up the chain of command rapidly. And we're spoiled by this because we see Mark Zuckerberg or other young people who start businesses that have been phenomenally successful. And we go, hey, Zuckerberg was a billionaire by the time he was 25, why can't I be? You know, all that sort of stuff. So we think that's the way the world works. It's not the way the world works. The way the world works is you have to actually learn a lot of things that are nuanced that you don't even know exist. And the reason I'm harping on this a little bit is because I have a lot of students that go off and they go into consulting or they go into work at, on the client side or the ad agency side and they they'll leave i mean i had one reach out to me 3 months into his job and he said well i'm i'm a little disappointed i said why and he said they don't take my suggestions all that seriously and i thought of course they don't you're 3 months into the job you don't even know what you don't know yet so Part of that is these raised expectations, again, because the media feeds us these superheroes who had a a lucky strike and also a lot of hard work and also a lot of brains. But just remember, don't raise your expectations that the world's going to be handed to you on a platter. You do have to work hard. And I'm all in favor, by the way, of work-life balance. I understand um, the younger generation coming out and saying, you know what, I'm going to have a little more work-life balance than my parents did. I honor that. I respect it. I believe in it. So do That. But just manage your expectations about how much you really know when you walk into the workforce. The second thing, though, how do you manage anxiety? How do you handle that? One of the things that came across most recently about anxiety, and if you're listening to this or watching this and you have anxiety, you have situations where, as we mentioned earlier in the podcast, your brain starts getting wound up and it's difficult to manage it and bring it down. There are those things that you can do before you get in that state, like meditation or exercise or creativity that can help your brain go off and relax and settle down. And I encourage you to do those things. But the other thing you can do is if you find yourself in a state of anxiety and it's serious anxiety, like maybe panic or debilitating in some other way, don't try to suppress the anxiety. Instead, acknowledge it so that you can then deal with it. And what I mean by that is when your reptilian brain is wound up, there's no amount of self-talk that's going to get it to calm down again until time heals that. What you have to do is honor it and say, oh, your anxiety, I know you. In fact, I'm going to give you a name. Your name is Bob. And Bob, you're here again. And you come around every time I get a little stressed out about something, Bob, welcome to the show. I know you're not going to go away. And just talk to your anxiety and then make it a thing. And I know one famous actor who actually puts Bob on his shoulder and says, hey, Bob, there you are again. I know you're not going anywhere. I'm going to just have you join me on what I'm about to do. And that really helps him reduce his anxiety. And I know also on the occasions where I'm feeling a little anxious about something, I'll do that technique too. And it's surprisingly effective. I'm going to do one more thing on the stress reduction thing. Studies show that when you label an emotion, if it's a negative emotion, it helps that emotion decrease. So if you feel anxious, label it and say, I'm feeling anxious. If you feel stress, label it and say, I'm feeling stress. If you feel Sad. Label it and say, I'm feeling sad. When you label emotions, it gives you the ability to manage them and control them and put them in a box a little bit and say, oh, stress, you're going to sit over there for a minute while I'm having this meeting with this client. So when you label emotions, it really helps reduce that. Interestingly, when you label positive emotion, it heightens the intensity of those things. So if you're feeling love or happiness or joy, when you label it and say, you know what? I'm feeling in love right right now, it actually heightens that emotion. So label your stressor emotions to reduce them, label your good emotions to increase the intensity of them. And that's another coping mechanism you can use as you move through your
0: life and your career. I love that illustration. It's almost like that box is all the things that we can handle, good or bad, right? And when you hear all those different labels in a box, eventually it might overflow a little bit. So you have to realize, okay, that emotion, whatever I call it, I can't handle it right now. Unless it's something urgent that needs to be a priority, I'm going to let it sit there for a minute and handle these other things. And as they reduce, there's more space in that box to put those new labels in. I love yeah, Absolutely. It helps a lot. It really works for people who need to deal with their emotions a lot. And on the note that you were talking about as far as managing expectations, and you use the example of someone that was only a few months in was... Disappointed that people at the top aren't using those ideas and starting to execute them. Someone that may be listening, maybe they're encountering the same thing. They know that they have a great idea, but they're frustrated. It's understandable to feel that way. But sometimes Mm -hmm. when you're in a lower level position, folks are simply not going to take you as seriously because you have less experience, right? It's not that they don't feel like the idea is good, but they have to listen more to people that have louder voices within a company. If you're someone maybe in that specific example, it's better to manage your expectations. More times than not, you have to take smaller steps to reach your idea. If you want someone to run with your idea, maybe have them listen more closely. Like I said, they have to listen to other voices. So you want to figure out, okay, I have this idea, but how can I really get them to listen to it?
1: I like that. And I like the way you're saying, you know, they have a lot of voices to listen to. And so there is a pecking order, sadly, where they have to listen to the top voices first before they can get to your voice. And so it is about just managing expectations. It doesn't – neither you nor I are saying – Don't have ideas or mail it in or don't try to contribute. We're not saying that. We're just saying manage expectations because there's the way the world works and you can resist the world or accept the world and say, all right, I'm going to work within the framework that I've been given here. And the result is I've got to keep contributing, but understand that the CEO, if they say the same thing, is going to get a lot more weight put behind it than I will. That's just a fact
0: of life. Definitely. So, Jamie, there's one important question I like to ask all the guests that I think is pretty fun. If you were to think back to your 20-year-old self, and that 20-year-old Jamie was able to look at present-day Jamie's life, what's something that 20-year-old you would be proud or excited to know about who you are today?
1: Oh, that's a great question. I like that. Uh, I think as a 20-something-year-old, I would have been really happy to know that things I did were done in the best interest of helping others that I actually did help some other people. So we talked about that at the very beginning of this dialogue was, hey, what do all people have in common, whether they're seasoned executives or just starting out? Everybody wants to help others in the end. I mean, there's a handful of people that don't, but mostly everybody wants to help others. So I I would encourage your listeners to find out what that Version of helping others is within them. Is it being inspirational and being a speaker? Is it writing books that help other people? Is it creating art that inspires other people to feel good about themselves? Whatever it is, find that inner voice that you have that nurtures that helping gene that you've got and feed that and learn from it and watch it grow and then turn it into a career. Because when you combine what your innermost desire is with what you do for a living. As they say, you'll never work a day in your life because uh, you won't really be working at any given time. You'll just be doing what you were born to do.
0: I know you have lots of information and resources and books. For anyone else that is interested in learning more about your story, where can folks get in touch with you
1: Yeah, sure. If you want to reach out to me, just Google me. It's Jamie Turner, J-A-M-I-E. And then Turner, I'll be on the first page of Google all over the place. The second place is my website, jamieturner.live, J-A-M-I-E turner.live. And the third place is the Unspoken Rules website that I have, which is unspokenrules.live, where I really have a lot of training, a lot of uh, blog posts, a lot of resources on that website where you can go in and learn about how to do a better job
0: leading yourself and leading others. And that's called unspokenrules.live. Awesome. I will put all that information in the show notes for anyone listening or watching to be able to access Jamie, I really appreciate you being here and shedding light to your story and sharing so much information to help listeners reduce stress and anxiety and develop the right mindset as they begin their career. Just want to say thank you again and hope to connect with you again soon. Thanks, Dan. Appreciate it. Take care. Bye.